0: Welcome to Central Assemblies podcast. Today's message is from a guest speaker. We pray this message speaks to you.
1: All right, well, I'm going to welcome... See, you're used to seeing him back here. I, I, I should have switched places with Adam where he can preach and I can sing, but y'all would leave during worship, so I'm not going to do that. <clears throat> so I knew when I was planning, uh, when I was planning and praying about this specific series, I knew that, that I wanted to have a specific message On uh, the importance of worship in private, because when we get together in public, it's easy to sing along and so on. But I wanted to talk about that. I did not know that I was going to ask Adam to to preach at that time. As we started getting closer and closer and closer, I felt like the Lord led me to ask him for a very simple reason is that you get to see him uh, up here uh, in a public setting every single week where you could almost begin to look at one of our pastors as he's the professional singer. He's the one, well, this is his job. This is what he has to do. But just like uh, for me, if I'm leading in prayer publicly, I want you to see and know that I'm also praying privately. And the things that we're doing on this platform, this isn't the only time these things are happening. So several weeks ago, I felt led just to say, listen, our worship, I want you to hear from our worship pastor some of the things the Lord's doing in his life uh, privately that then leads to what he can do publicly. So why don't you welcome him to the platform today?
0: Good morning. I usually get to talk to y'all earlier uh, in the service. Hey, they emailed that I was preaching and y'all showed up today. That's great. (laughs) Oh, if you haven't heard me preach, just buckle your seatbelt. Um, So, thank you, Pastor Kurt, for allowing me to come up here and uh, share this morning. It is um, every time. You know, I'm up here every week, but every time I'm asked to, to preach, it's like this, another level of a daunting task, and uh, I feel totally uh, inept to do it, but in the Bible, it says that in our weaknesses, he is made strong. Um, so before we, before I get into the sermon, I'm going to preface two things, okay? So the first thing, if, I want you to talk back to me. Okay? (laughs) So I appreciate it. I appreciate it. We're a family here, right? So we're a family here. So if we're sitting around and we're conversing, it helps me know that you heard me. It helps me know that you understand me. It helps me know where you guys are. If I need to go back and repeat something, slow down. If I totally missed the mark on how I communicated something. So I want you to talk back with me, all right? Okay. And I will be bursting out into song in the midst of this sermon. All right. So I'm, I'm just prefacing you and I'm, I'm not just doing it. Um, I'm not doing it because you didn't get your quote of, of my voice today. OK, I'm doing it because I want you to see and I'm going to use worship songs that we use here because I want you to see how you could take a little snippet of a song that we do and you can use it as a weapon in the rest of the week. Okay, so we're gonna talk about those things. We're gonna talk about, as Pastor Kurt said, we're talking about the power of our private worship time. Now, you guys know, as he said, my job, my vocation, I make my living as a worship pastor. And I still have to work on my aspect of private worship. So I was talking to my uh, older but wiser brother about my (laughs) sermon and he, sorry, and he said, he said, well, if you're, a, if you're a worship pastor and you have to work on it, just think what the rest of us have to do. And so it puts, it just helps me put it into perspective that it's something that we all need to work on. So I want you to take everything I'm saying today um, with that in mind. Pastor Kurt said in the beginning, I, I have loved this series, uh, I'm not boasting on him, I'm boasting of what God is doing through the words he's sharing. It, it is transformational to us if we let it, uh, this, this, this process of the below the surface. And so God is teaching him more and more about his private time. God is teaching me more and more about my personal worship time. And so just like the name below the surface, if we think of it merely as a building Without, if we can, yeah, you have the graphic up there. So that that foundation that is the basement or the foundation of the home, if you would remove that, is that home stable? We all know that. Any of us who own a home in Southwestern PA where there's been mine subsidence and everything else and and you have uh, hydrostatic pressure on your walls and all this other stuff, we know that without a strong foundation, the rest of the house, the rest of the building is compromised. So we need to understand that what we do below the surface is absolutely the the most pinnacle foundational part of our life. Without it, we really have nothing of value. Would you buy a home that had no foundation? Nothing, they just stacked blocks. Even though it was beautiful on the outside, would you buy that home? So how can we expect to have a Christian life that is all beautiful on the outside, without any foundation. So I'm, I'm giving you guys a glimpse into my private time with the Lord um, and what he's teaching me. It's, it, it, he's encouraging me in, and I'm just gonna, I remind myself all the time that sometimes God's encouragement feels like a two by four. Um, <laughs> uh, but it, it's just that, so I don't want you to take uh, I'm, I'm a loud person. I am a uh, energetic person when I talk. I don't want you to think that I'm standing up here screaming and preaching at a, at a room full of people who aren't getting it, okay? We're all, we are all believers. We're all walking. We all can grow in this. And like, like the old adage is, if the sermon feels like I'm yelling just at you, just put me aside and just know the Holy Spirit is taking something that I'm saying and working on your heart in it. And that's my prayer is for all of us that as he works with me on this and as I share what he's doing, that it'll work on us and we work together collectively as a body. Um, Now, I know as soon as we start talking about worship, there's something that enters people's minds and they say, what what would you say? Oh, in singing, but, but what does somebody say when we would talk about that? Oh, I can't, I can't sing. I don't have a good voice. I don't have any of that. The enemy wants us to fall for that lie because he knows the power of worship. In fact, if you do a little bit of research on where he came from, he was a worship leader, worshiper. I'm not saying all worship leaders are the devil. (laughs) Woo, wow. As that was coming out, I'm thinking, watch it. Um, But if anybody knows the power of worship, it's him. So if he can bind our tongue and if he can get us to think, well, you're not a singer, you're not as good as Adam, you're not as good as Sharice, you're not as good as that person up here, you don't really have a voice, I don't, if he can do that, if he can bind our tongue in that way, he he renders us ineffectual. And so everybody can sing, not everybody can lead, not everybody is a performer. Not everybody can read music, not everybody can even stay in rhythm. Some of us clap on two and four. Some of us clap the incorrect way. It's fine. All right? So everybody, everybody has the ability to worship. Everybody has the ability to sing. Everybody has access to this tool, this weapon that God gave us. We just need to use it to its fullest potential. So why aren't we tapping into that potential? I'm gonna explore some stuff today um, to show you, I think if we would shift some of our efforts back into the private worship, I think we will unlock potential. I think if we can, if we can reallocate some of it uh, and maybe even come up with some new time for it. Um, I really do think God is concerned with the amount of time we worship. I am not talking about in church. I am not advocating for two hours of worship and 10 minutes of preaching. Can't, we can't do it. We cannot accomplish what God wants to do in your life in the two hours that you're here on a Sunday morning. So, if you know me at all, you know math may not be my strong suit, but I pressed into a mathematical equation here. So, if if all of our services average about 2 hours on a Sunday, so that in there are how many weeks in a year? Okay. So, if we take that and you're here every Sunday at church, okay? Listen, I didn't say anything about that. You took that one and ran with it. So, if you're here all those weeks for 2 hours, if we break it down by minutes, that's 6,240 minutes out of your five hundred twenty-five thousand six hundred minutes in a year. Okay? So, thank be to God that he created calculators. <laughs> that means, out of 100% of your time a year, if you don't miss any church, you will spend, put the number up on the screen. Of all of your time, 1.18% of time in church, total. So would you be pleased with your spouse or your loved one if you only spent 1.18% of your year with them? Would you date somebody that only spoke to you 1.18% of the time? Would you know much about a person's personality or their character if you only dug deep into, their, into them in conversation 1.18% of the time? Would you feel like your children cherished you if they only communicated you 1.18% of the time? We know the answer to that in the natural. It's very easy to answer it when we look at it like that. So my question, well, if we don't spend time in the secret place, you're banking on 1.18% of the time for your whole relationship with God. And that's not even breaking down the worship time. That's, that's the sermon, that's the announcements, that's everything. So, so the worship is maybe half, so cut that in half. And that's what, if we, if any of us just worship on Sunday mornings, that's how much worship time we give the Lord. Like that's scary. I mean, for me too. I can fall into the trap as easy as anybody else can. This is a trap. We have to see that this is a trap. So God, God asked me this question. It's a very difficult question. Are you able to draw evidence of God moving, speaking, teaching, affecting, healing, restoring, filling you from, 90, from the other 99%? Like, do you get enough substance if we would remove, that's not much. If we took that out of your slice of your time and threw it away, are you getting enough? Are you getting enough evidence to witness to somebody? Like, do you have enough information? Do you have enough heart? Do you have enough that? Do you have enough in you to get you through a hard trial or to get somebody else through a hard trial? I think we'd like to say yes. But that, that scares me. That number scares me. So the thing that we are created to do, the thing that we're created to do, if we go back and look at Adam, we are meant to be in communion with God. We are meant to worship God. We are meant to be in constant communication. The thing that we're created to do, maybe not in this church, but I would say, in, in a lot of churches, more than we would want to know. That is how much of the time we're spending on it. What we do in our private time prepares us for public. It's anything. Take it outside of this. If you're, if you're having a hard time grasping that in the spiritual realm, take it outside of anything else. What you do in private, if, you, if you're supposed to go pick up this, uh, big giant weight out at some, uh, in front of 400 people, you will have lifted weights prior to walking up to that weight or you won't have anything. You'll go to pick it up and you won't have it. You won't have the strength. So we come to church, we, when I say we, I mean I'm, I'm in that boat with you, Okay. So we come to church expecting a man, whoever is up here man, woman, I say man, I mean just a person to do to fill you enough in only the place that God should be filling. And we wonder why people get upset at us pastors. That's a whole lot of responsibility. That's a lot of responsibility put on ministers because we're, we're, we're in charge of how you spend that 1.18%. So if you don't spend a lot of time out of here, I guarantee you at one point will become a grumpy Christian and you will become dependent on the pastors in your life and you won't ha- be able to sustain yourself outside of these walls. And, and that is not what we're meant to do. So think of what would happen if we came to church with all of ourselves, all of us, everybody in this room, we came to church already filled up because we spent a week with God. We came in, and then what you have is, I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna preach prosperity here for a second, but I'm not gonna preach financial prosperity because prosperity transcends finances. I'm gonna preach prosperity of you have more than enough for yourself so that you can give to somebody else. So we as a church, we have people come in at all different stages of their life. We have new believers come in. We have people that are crippled by divorce. We have people that are crippled by abuse, people that are addicted, all that other stuff. And if you come in empty as a solid Christian, what do you have to give somebody else? We're we're supposed to be the saved ones. We're supposed to have something to give somebody else. So it is on us to increase that number. I mean, uh, we can make service nine hours if you want. (laughs) I'll sing another 12 songs. So, now I know something that happens, um, maybe I see it more because I'm um, the worship guy. So people talk to me about worship. But as soon as we kind of broach into the subject, people bring up Romans 12. Okay, and Romans 12 uh, talks about our whole lives being worship. And, and I, I don't disagree with that. Um, I, I, I agree, obviously, with what the Scripture says. But I think sometimes we twist it. And I think sometimes we, we use it to create an excuse um, to give us a get out of singing card. Like we say, well, my whole life is worship. Everything I do is worship. It, it is, it can be. Anything you do unto the Lord, it's, it's worship. It's, it's giving of yourself to him, but it's not a get out of singing free card. So I, I wanna reclaim that scripture back into worship. Um, Amos prophesies that our lips will become like a young bull or a, a, a fruit offering. To the Lord. That, that it will one day, so what happens in, in, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we no longer have to give what? Animal sacrifices. We no longer have to give those things. So Amos is prophesying about the day when this counts for our slaughtering of, lamb, of lambs. This counts for our slaughtering of bulls. Hebrews 13, 5 says, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So we present our bodies as a sacrifice because we no longer have to present grain or sheep or cows. We are it now. So if we relegate all worship to the possibility of being anything, we we give ourselves an excuse from what the Bible drips of and that is people singing and worshiping and praising the Lord. David says in Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth or on my lips, depending on your translation. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will... Ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips. On my lips. Romans 12, Therefore, I urge you. Sing it, Danielle. Therefore, I urge you. <laughs> I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Spiritual service of worship. But I think if we put it in the context of everything I do is worship, that we're, we're gonna keep leaning onto that excuse. Um, so now... I think one of the reasons why we want that get out of worship card free is because of the potentially awkwardness that we feel in the natural. Two serial killers of worship, self-consciousness and pride. They're serial killers of, of Christians' worship. Those are two of those lions walking about trying to devour your worship. Jesus urges us in the Bible to become like a child, right? Several times we see in scripture. And so it makes me think about my kids, driving my kids in the back seat. Now, my son is kind of a little mini Adam. But my daughter, my daughter is different. Um, she is not, uh, she doesn't like to be in the front. Um, she wants to boss people around uh, and be director and all that other stuff. But she's not, um, she's, she's not demonstrative in her singing and all of that stuff, uh, which is kind of like my wife. My wife is not, would consider herself um, not a singer, uh, but we'll talk about that a little bit. Um so it makes me think of driving my kids in the car, and we got a song on the radio, and Whitney's in the back. She's singing. She's looking into the window like it's like a little mirror, and she's singing in here. And Brady's singing here until what? Till what? Till I see them. And then all of a sudden, what happens? So I think that's how we get sometimes, right? Even in, even in our public worship time, but it even happens in our private. It's always, we let let the enemy come in and that self-consciousness and that pride and that stuff, it inhibits our praise. Um, So it says, unless you become like a child, so there's a key word in that. It's not necessarily the child part. Become like a child. So it's a process. But the goal is to be like a child. That's the arrival point. To be like a child. So what is it like to be like a child? Free, joy-filled, optimistic. Everything is awesome, okay? Dreamy, easygoing, excited, cuddly, dancing, singing at the top of our lungs. That's the goal when we say become like a child. That's the goal, adults, when we say we're gonna become like a child. So that's what our worship should be like, right? I just felt air like suck out through the door. (laughs) Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would kick self-consciousness and pride out of this church. God, I pray that you would break it off of each and every person, that we would become so worried about what you would think that we wouldn't care what other people think or even what our own mind says. In Jesus' name, amen. So, my wife and I have a little testimony about letting go of our inhibitions. This is when Joanna was pregnant and about to give birth to Brady. Um, it was a very incredibly different uh, circumstance than with the birth of, of Whitney. Uh, with Whitney, um, I, I should say after Whitney, through some friends here at the church, they shared with us something and we pressed into the thought that the, the curse put on Eve was that she would have pain during child labor. And it says in Galatians 3 that through the blood of Jesus Christ, all curses, the curse of sin was broken. That he took the curse of sin. And like, we, I've heard from Pastor Curtin and some other preachers, like either the blood worked or it didn't. Like it's not, it doesn't have like a gradient effect. So either the blood worked or it didn't. And I had to, we, we had to examine. So this shouldn't be like it happened with Whitney. This is not gonna be like that. We're not gonna let this this beautiful thing be robbed from us because of a curse that the enemy wants to try and keep on us. And so Joanna and I took this revelation, we pressed into it, and we ended up seeing major breakthrough, major breakthrough. And I do believe it's because we worship and praise through the process. So what we did is I got the song Oceans. It was really popular at that that point, okay? I put Oceans on my phone in the delivery room. We had that playing. I put it on, I put it on repeat. Little did I know we were gonna leave it on repeat the entirety of Brady's birth. And what what this woman did here, who would categorize herself as not a singer, has categorized herself to me and that in the past. What she did is she offered a sacrifice of praise above and beyond herself. And every time a contraction hit and a pain hit and she was overwhelmed with that, she'd start singing. And so I started singing along with her and what happened, every time the peace of God would like whoo through that room like a wave. Just hearing that now, I didn't even write that down. Like a wave, it would just, into that room. Her pain level would decrease, her breathing would be able to come back, and we would continue on to the next time. And every time that happened, and you know what happened? The doctors and the nurses who came into the room, multiple, not one, not the same one, they weren't in the room at the same time to even hear what they said. They said, this is the most peaceful room I have ever been in for a delivery. And they, they heard the singing. She didn't care. She lost all inhibition at that point. She didn't care. She was singing whether the doctors were there, working, with the nurses, anything. She kept singing. And so much so that the doctor said, wow, you should come back and teach a birthing class here. <laughs> um, it, it was the most incredible difference between the two. That God showed me something in that moment that I'll never lose. That private, personal moment did something. And sometimes I think we need to remind ourselves of moments that we get like that. Um, Pastor Kurtz talked about praying that there's no cameras anywhere set up in our, you know, our private worship space, like even in the prayer room or something else because when he's alone, he gets a little <laughs> going in it, sobbing, snot in the carpet, all that stuff. Thank, thank you for that visual. That stuck with me. Um, <laughs> but I too have that same dream. Because if you know me, I like gospel music. Um, I mean, I like gospel music. I like a loud choir. I like a shout. I, I, and, and I'll put on something like uh, one of my favorite songs, J.J. Um, Harrison does, uh, The Blood Still Works. It's fast. The blood that Jesus shed on Calvary. I'll am I, 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 I'll go. I'll take that whole prayer room. The blood still works. Mm -mm 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 -mm. That choir, the blood. Anyway, so so I have those moments, but I'm going to talk about a very different moment right now. So I had an experience here. um, It's been a couple years now, maybe two and a half years. um, And I was back in, we have a room back there that, is uh, for the band to pray in the morning and we, we gather and we meet there. And um, God told me to do something a little unorthodox. And I think I'm, in, I'm encouraging all of us this morning is to not allow religion to make the mold that we allow God to work in. Like relationship is what's supposed to make that, not religion. So, when we hear something, as long, as long as it's not heretical, as long as it's not going against what God says in his word, um, we should loosen up just a little bit. This is for me too. And so I was, I was back there um, and he just said, go spend some time in that room. So I went into the, I was sitting on the couch in there and I brought my phone in and I played a CD. And this CD is filled, um, it's Stephanie Gretzinger's Out of Hiding um, album it's just filled with like really intimate, personal worship with God. It's just something, it's an anointing she carries. It, it just, it, she's just, she has a really super personal, it's almost like a, a, a modern day David feel to what, how she talks with God. And so I put this on and um, I, was, I, was re, I was hearing in my head scriptures, like I, I was stressed at that point. I, something, I don't remember what it was, because it's pale in comparison to what happened. Um, I don't remember that, that, whatever friction brought me to that moment, but I, was, I, I remembered two scriptures. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, Psalm 34. Matthew 11, come to me all who are heavily laden and I will give you rest. So I put this music on and I'm sitting on the couch. I start to just kind of tear up in my eyes. And then the song comes on. Um, Call my name and I will answer all you need it's here inside my arms just breathe and you'll be safe and sound with me cause no one knows you better than me and no one's been a better friend this whole song is written like a lullaby from Jesus. And I felt, I felt impressed to lay on the floor. So I did, I laid down on the floor, kind of on my side. And like almost instantly, much like if I lay down with Whitney and I'll wrap my arms around her and pull her in tight to me so that she knows I'm here and I'm and nothing gonna happen to my girl. I felt Jesus's, these massive arms wrap around me on the floor and pull me into his chest. Like, I'm, I'm not talking about I thought, I thought, I felt it. I felt it. I felt a tangible moment right then and there. Like, I could almost feel his breath on the back of my head. At first, it was uncomfortable. And I had to crucify my flesh, and I had to crucify my pride. And as a guy, it's like, you know, whatever. And I all of a sudden became this little child wrapped up in Jesus' arms. And I let that song play and I sobbed and I felt his arms around me as tight as I've ever had a hug ever in my life. So that moment, even though it was a few years ago, it sealed something in my heart. It sealed something that I know I can go back to that place like the Israelites walking by and seeing a stack of stones. I hear a lullaby or I see, or even when I hug, even every time I hug Whitney even, there's part of me that goes back and remembers that. That, for, that moment in private worship, that moment of laying down myself, forever sealed something in me different and I'll never lose it. There is a vulnerability that happens in our worship time. Um, I would say that David or King David uh, is probably one of the best examples of vulnerability in in the Bible. Uh, He also happens to be one of the most worship-filled, worshipful people in the Bible. So are those things separate? I don't think so. That vulnerability that he shows um, is really, 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 really important. It's so important that one of my, the most amazing mind-blowing things uh, in the Bible is that God calls him a what? A man after a man after his own heart. Um, if you study his life, you'll see that worship was just spilled out of him. But you also see that he was in his private worship with God so much, and he wasn't a worship leader. Like that's that was a realization I had when I studied this. David's not a worship leader. He had every right to be a worship leader. He had all the skills. He, he had the skills to play the instruments that even talks in the Bible, how he created a bunch of instruments for the other people to do, use. But he didn't use it as a worship leader. He was king. He had a different vocation. He was a shepherd. He did both. He did the blue collar, white collar thing. So we don't have any excuse. Um, the Lord seeks out and blesses true worshipers. Again, we're not talking about Sunday morning. Um, David captured that whole spirit and truth, worshiping in spirit and truth. Worshiped with his whole self and he worshiped fully honest with God. Pastor Kurt talked about that in the recent weeks. Like, if we think about it, he knows our thoughts. He wants us to confess them to him. He wants us to have communication. Um, You know, if you're a modern day David, you might say, Lord, my hands are up, my face is bowed down. I am resisting questioning, but the enemy is attacking me on all sides. Like every way I look, I feel like I'm losing, but I'm not gonna deal with it. I'm not dealing with it. I'm gonna praise you. I'm gonna worship. I'm gonna celebrate how truly awesome you really are. David wrote Psalms all through the book of Psalms like that, where he starts off lamenting. He starts off with these Psalm 142. He starts off raw and emoting to God, The whole world is against me. They're gonna try and kill me, all this other stuff. What is going on? Where are you? But I trust you, and I know you're gonna take care of me. And it's not schizophrenic. (laughs) He's actually letting out of his mouth the things that are in his heart. We stifle it. We stifle it. We hold all the garbage in our heart and try and squeak out a little bit of praise where if we would allow that flood to open up, God wants to take all of it and make us whole. He wants to make us, he wants to restore everything about us. But we have to be able to offer both up. So that's that whole spirit and truth thing. Um, You know, a song we've been singing lately. I I really do think David must've been whispering in the ear of whoever wrote it. Even Defender, Defender this morning, just listening to that song, that's David. That's David all over it. Um, But, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Ah. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is why I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. I mean, can't you see him walking up to Goliath singing that? Like, he got this song? This is how I fight my battles. Ah. This is how I fight my battles. Like, we have, to, we have to take these things and kind of attach it to it. Um, and we all know, Pastor Kurt alluded to it earlier, it's so easy to worship in this room. It's easy to worship in this room. We have ama- I'll give props to this, this worship band and team. I mean, and they, and what I love about them is they deflect all of that glory up and praise up to God. Every single one of them. They serve week after week. They, they provide amazing music here for us. We, we're, we're led in that. We got harmonies. You got all your friends and people. The lights are good and everything's good. We're playing your favorite song. All this other stuff. It's easy to do it then. It's easy to clap our hands. It's easy to sing. But are your hearts in it? Because Jesus warns us about doing church really well. Because you know who did church the best out of everybody? Say it again. The Pharisees. The Pharisees were the best at doing church. They knew every scripture. They knew everything to do. They knew all the songs. They knew the rituals. They knew how to do this, when to do that, not to do this. They knew it all. but But Jesus says to them, what? You don't know me. You don't know me. Like that's really scary. And that that 1.8 that 1.18% I would venture to say Jesus has every right to say we don't know him. If that's it. We 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 want to say, well, I don't know about that. Take it into the natural again. Take it back into the natural and then compare it to in the spiritual. We need to start seeing how those two things interact, play off each other, sometimes they're the opposite. But we need to know that in a relationship, you can't put 1.18% in and expect to get anything of value out of it. Um, So David had a couple things that I would say earmarked him to to God, things that just kind of highlighted him to God. So he spent time with God. He spent time. He etched out, Time, he sang, he prayed, he spent time with God. Have we ever thought, this is a question that came to me. I have to be able to answer this too. Have we ever thought of taking a half day vacation to worship God? I don't know. I'll just plant seeds on all of us. Have we ever thought of taking a half day of vacation just to worship God? God. You know, if you're retired or if you're able to be at home, have you ever reworked your schedule enough to say, "I'm going to work. I'm going to work my schedule this week to give me like two hours of just worship time." I think David would have. I don't know. He did it while he tended sheep. He did it while he did other stuff. Um, and I think it's time we put a little healthy pressure on ourselves to create that time. That's what all this is. All, all, everything we're talking about is below the surface. Pastor Kurt's heart is that all it does is create enough healthy tension in you to change something. (laughs) To create enough healthy tension to change something. So I'm doing that for myself and for all of us today. Can Can we etch out a little more time? He was not ashamed. David did not walk in shame. Thing about Goliath is this little guy going up to this big guy. I don't care. He said something nasty about God and I'm gonna take him out. Or how about when the Ark of the Covenant is re-entering Jerusalem? We all know this, David danced undignified, took off all his robes, okay? So he's dancing, and what did Michael, female Michael, uh, do? This is King Saul's daughter. What did she do to him during worship? Despised him. Look at you. What kind of person are you doing all that? And he says, you think that was something? You ain't seen nothing yet. I'm gonna get more undignified than this. And you know what is like, I, I really like when God just includes one little verse. Just to, it's just a zinger. There's a zinger at the end of this story and they put it in about Michael. Does anybody know what it is? She never had children again. She never had children and was barren the rest of her life. No worship. No fruit. Why else would he include that sentence? We, don't, we didn't need to know that. know that. She's long since gone. Michael's life doesn't necessarily affect mine, but God would put that into scriptures, put that in there, have that written in there that Michael uh, remained was barren the rest of her life. Um, David lavished praise and worship, like abundant over the top. Uh, He says, um, "In we're gonna read Psalm 119. Somebody pull out. Yeah, the big one, let's go. I'm just kidding, we're not gonna read it right now. But if you don't get the joke, read it tonight. Um, Lots of luck. Uh, So David says in Psalm 119, you can find it, that he offered morning and evening sacrifices and even more times of worship, totaling seven times a day. Seven times a day. That is what made him a man after God's own heart. That is much more communication than our Sunday morning experience, right? Think about all the animals that had to be sacrificed. Like we're talking about with some with some festivals 142,000 animals in 14 days like you know how much do you like can we actually grasp how much blood that is how much how many bodies of animals carcasses that is like that's a lot of effort all to worship god now in the new covenant in peter in first peter He says that we are a royal priesthood. And so now we are offering those sacrifices. We talked about it earlier. We are the royal priesthood. What's our sacrifice? That's our sacrifice. And so God asked me, am I offering something equal to the 142,000 animals? Ask yourself that. Are we, are we doing something? The, the answer is what we're giving is ourselves. But again, we can't accomplish it if we just rely on that 1.18. David gave sacrifices in hard times. He gave a sacrifice of worship in hard times, like really hard times. Um, it would be very easy to worship after you win the sweepstake, right? Right? I mean, we'd we'd be in tongues, we'd be dancing, we'd be all down the street. That's easy, cakewalk. It's very easy to do that. It's easy, I'm sure it was easy for David after he cut Goliath's head off to worship God. Like that was a really big, cool victory. But how about in 2 Samuel 12, 20, after his son dies because of his disobedience? His son dies because of his disobedience. And what is the first thing that David does when he finds out? He goes, he was praying for his son to be, to be healed and healthy. He took off his sackcloth and wiped his, the ashes off. He goes in and he begins to worship. He begins to press in and worship at that moment. Isaiah talks about the furnace of affliction. My summary is, what happens when the fire's cranked up? What happens to you when your fire is cranked up? Or another way of saying it that I've heard is, when you're squeezed, what kind of juice comes out? When that pressure is put on, what, what happens with you? One of my favorite stories in the Bible, Paul and Silas, okay? They're beaten up, thrown in prison, isolated. Stockades are put on their feet. It's in the midnight hour, has anybody, can anybody relate to Paul and Silas at that moment? And nobody? Wow. I thought somebody would, would feel like they've been beaten up and accused of the wrong thing and, and all of that, felt, feel trapped. Anybody ever feel those ways? Yeah, we all have at times in our life. Here they are in the midst of all that pain, the bondage, and what do they start doing? Singing, praising, singing spiritual songs. Another part, another little zinger God puts in there, loud enough for other prisoners to hear. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah. I will watch the darkness. I will watch the darkness flee. So, I mean, that, that one, that song, man, the minute I heard that song, I started seeing these biblical images. Um, so what happens? They start singing. What happens? God is moved to intervene on, the, on, on what's happening. The Lord inhabits the praises of the people. So if you don't see him, if you don't feel him, if you can't hear him, praise him. David did it. Paul and Silas did it. And they had a pretty good result. And I feel like sometimes God's saying, I gave you the answer, I showed you a story. Here's somebody in worse situation than you and they're able to praise and they see a breakthrough. We have a paper cut and we don't worship. (laughs) Your Promises, another great song we, we sing. Doesn't matter what I feel. Doesn't matter what I see, my hope will always be in your promises to me. I mean, seriously, that's just one little line. Tuck it, write it on your face. Sing that. Sing it. When you're you're walking around the house and you're frustrated. Doesn't matter what I feel. Jesus, I'm going to strangle. Doesn't matter what I see. (laughs) (laughs) So, what happens? They start singing, God's moved. The atmosphere is changing now. For the spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around. And those those bars began to rattle and pop. The doors open, the stockades on their feet bust open. Paul's faith through worship activated God to saddle up and come running in. That's what happened. We have to be able to take that formula and apply it to our life. Let's look back at David. How many would like to have David's record of victories? Like, if you count your prayers, if you count prayer requests and all those things, if you count those, how many would like to have David's record of victories? I sure would. I'd like that thing that looks like a Goliath in my life to drop to the ground and for me to cut its head off, never to return again. So we want the results, but we don't want to be like the person who got the results. This is to me, too. We want the results and we wanna, we wanna stand there, we wanna get grumpy, we wanna curse God, we wanna, we wanna curse the church, we wanna talk about people because we don't have the results that we think we ought to have, but we didn't do what he said to do in the first place. When is it our responsibility? When are we gonna take some of the weight <laughs> on ourselves? Why was David able to defeat all the enemies that he did? I think it's because he spent time with God. (laughs) I think because he kept that connection um, this morning. All I did was praise. Can't you picture David standing there singing this? All I did was worship. That's David. That's that's that heart in there. His private time prepared him for public. The private time he spent with God prepared him for public. Before battles, before every one of David's battles, I won't say every one in case I'm wrong, um, before many of the ones that I read, David, it's written in there, Different ways, but basically David inquired of the Lord. So what does that tell us? That David went away with God, talked about it. So in this, <clears throat> the scripture that I'm gonna read, <clears throat> excuse me. So in this scripture, in 2 Samuel 5, um, this is after David's been anointed as king and he goes to war with the Philistines. Now remember, the Philistines, don't really like David because he killed the best thing they had going for him. So like of all his enemies, these are like, they want him dead. They want him dead. Have you ever had a full army wanting you dead? So I think we can endure a little bit longer. So this whole army wants David dead. He goes to God, this is the second time that the Philistines have attacked him in this, in this story. He goes to God and says, this is in 2 Samuel 5, um, verse 23. And again, David asked of the Lord what to do. So he did it again. He went back to God. Even though he already had one battle, he went back and asked God again. And this was what God said to him. Do not attack them straight on, the Lord replied. Instead, circle around behind and attack them, attack them near the poplar trees. This is one of this I was stuck in second Sam in 1st and 2nd Samuel for like a good eight months. I just kept reading book after I just would finish a second I'd go back to one. First and second Samuel, if you like a really good book, go read those two chapters, two two books. They're they'll they'll just they're just they're riveting. And so this this one, oh, I love this sentence. So he said, go back um, and attack them near the poplar trees. Verse 24, and when you hear a sound of marching feet in the tops of the poplar trees, be on alert. That will signal that the Lord is moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistine army. So David did what the Lord commanded and he struck down the Philistines. Like, that's a really cool result. I love, I love that picture God tells him just stand go stand by the trees and when you hear footsteps of marching angels up in the treetops then you know to go like that's really cool I kind of just said that Italian that's a really cool <laughs> so I want that kind of relationship with God do you? Thank you, 13 people. I want that relationship with God. Do you? So we want the results. So what do we have to do? We have to change what we're doing. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So, are we willing to go below the surface enough in our worship to be able to live like David lived? And I, I, I love reading about David because you know, for all this and for God saying, "For God blessed David so much that children, grandchildren, great grandchildren, great 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 grandchildren who became kings of Israel were honored because of God's relationship with David." But do we remember? This guy made some idiotic bonehead mistakes. Like bad mistakes. Like, whoa, what is wrong with you? And God still chose to write in his book that will last until he comes back as as his main form of communication with us. He chose to write on there that this guy is a person after my own heart. This bonehead. But I talked about it in in one of the previous sermons I talked about. The reason that David was revered like that is because he didn't stay stuck in that. He confessed, he repented, and he went on the right way. He didn't get stuck where he was. Um, Are we willing to offer a sacrifice of praise when we don't feel like it? I heard heard once um, that sacrifice of praise and worship Sacrificing when we don't feel like it, when we're tired, when our body's sick, all of those things. How many would like to give God a gift that we will not be able to give Him once we get in heaven? How many of you would like to do that? Like, how many of you want to give God a special gift? So, the sacrifice of praise in the midst of trials, tribulations, illness, sickness, we won't be able to give Him when we get on the other side because. Thanks be to God, we won't have those things to deal with. So like, so how special is that gift to God? I think that's one of the reasons why David had a highlighter on his life because that dude got it. In the midst of all of that, in the midst of Saul coming after him, in the midst of, of his brothers and, all, and, and his, the, the women in his life and the things he made and the mistake, all of those things, in the midst of all that, he maintained that relationship. The first thing David did after a victory, the first thing he did after getting the ark back, the first thing he did after the death of his son was worship to the max. Whether it was by himself or whether it was with a thousand people that he pulled in, thousand instruments and singers and all that other stuff, the first thing he did, the response was always worship. When David got things right, he worshiped. When David got things wrong, he repented and then he worshiped. Is that our first response? Thanks for being honest, Ken. It's not my first response all the time. Can we train ourselves to get there? I think we can. David wasn't an angel. David wasn't a saint. David wasn't something so unachievable. He was a little boy who watched sheep, who spent time with God and got anointed to be king of Israel. And I, I do think, I wanna encourage us, I'm gonna take your, your, your singing card out of your, that, that uh, no singing free card out of your hand. I, I do think this moves beyond. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. Um, this isn't just thank you, God, or all glory be to God after uh, after something. No, it's actually worship. It's actually worship. Like it's it's not just it's not just the the hail mary. Just to, yep. It's actually it's actually praise and worship. It is it, actually those two things, and that actually requires you and I to move our mouths. And this is not, please hear this. This is not your worship pastor wishing you all sang louder here on a Sunday morning. It's not. It's not. It has nothing to do with that 1.18%. I know that 1.18% is gonna feel a lot differently if this church family gets this concept I mean, this—the this, this ceiling will rattle when we come in here because everybody's going to come in so amped up and oh. um. And you don't need—we'll be wrapping up here soon. I'm, I only got 12 pages left. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Ten. Um, You don't have to know the words to all the songs. You don't have to have me playing keys behind you, as Pastor Kurt said. We don't have to have those things. Uh, You don't even have to be able to play an instrument. You don't even have to read music. Um, I asked a few people before the service, I just walked around to um, ask them their favorite, their favorite scripture. Um, Because we need to not be so scared about singing a new song to the Lord. I want you to have, the, I mean, the reason we lead worship, the reason we have worship here, uh, part of it at least, is so this church is equipped with worship. Like every song I give you is almost like a tool in your tool belt. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Even if that's all the part of the song you can remember. I know everybody, has been. if you've been here long enough, you can, you can picture Miss Carol, which it's Miss Carol's birthday, by the way, today. But she's, I just saw steam rise from her when I said that. Um, But I know all of you can picture her singing, amen, amen, blessing and honor and glory and power, amen. Take that tool and use it. We got a bunch of rusty tools sitting in your tool belt. So, but... But I asked a couple people, so I have, I have four options here. We're just going to pick one for the sake of time. So uh, bye. somebody just yell out, which one do you want to hear? I heard three first. Okay, three. So, oh, and this is the one that actually Carol brought up. <laughs> totally unplanned. Um, so I asked her one of her favorite scriptures. She said Psalm 24, 1. Here's the, here's the verse. The earth is the, Lord and every, is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all of its people belong to him. So like if we just know that scripture, if you're reading through your Bible and you see that scripture, we're gonna try something right now. This is a little experiment. I do want you to participate. Um, but we're gonna try and shake a little bit of this, the fear off of this. Actually, I sh- hope to shake all the fear off of this. Um, So the the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Sing it again. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Sing it like you mean it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We just sang a new song. Like, it's not scary. We just took, we're not, uh, this is a room full of people that aren't, aren't singers. I pray that that song gets hooked in every single one of your heads today. Not, it's, not because it's the best song ever written, but because I want to shake off of each and every one of us that we can't do this. That, that sentence needs to go away. We should all be able to do this. Not a worship leader, not just because they're up here on the team. Not be, it doesn't mean that next week you're gonna come up and present your song to everybody. This is for the other 99%. um it's like dating. take your time and get to know God that that communion that level of communication, communication communion. hear it? communication communion okay um, it's still achievable. David devoted his life to worshiping the Lord and it shows um, It even says, it it prophesies in Scripture that the tabernacle of David will, that God wants to rebuild the tabernacle of David. So fly by biblical history. David gets the ark and he builds a, a, a tabernacle, a tent for the Lord to reside in. And God says in Scripture, long after Jesus has been crucified and risen from the dead, Even though that relationship, so our relationship with Jesus is restored through the blood of Jesus Christ. And God still writes in there that he, that the prophecy that he wants to rebuild David's tabernacle. So what does he want to rebuild if we're in full communion with him? What does God want to rebuild if we're in full relationship with him through the blood of Jesus Christ? The worship, the worship with his people. That's what the tabernacle was for. The tabernacle was for worship. That's what he wants to rebuild. Um, The heart that was only forged in private, personal, intimate, vulnerable worship times uh, is how David got to have that relationship with God. He didn't do anything in the natural to earn his anointing as king. God sought him out. His heart of worship cried out for the Lord and God found it and revered David for it. So here's our challenge. I made a new word up. Ready for it? Davidify. Okay? So are you willing to Davidify your life? So by Davidifying your life, that means that we're gonna become more vulnerable in our worship with God. We're gonna become less ashamed. We are gonna start taking risks. We're gonna pour out honest, lavish worship when we don't feel like it. All by ourselves below the surface. Let's stand, please. Heavenly Father, we pray right now that you would awaken in us a desire to watch that percentage be obliterated. God, I do pray that this church family will be known as a church family who is strong below the surface. That we come into our gatherings on Sunday mornings so filled up that we have enough for us and enough for the people around us, God. Lord, I pray that you would awaken songs in each and every heart in this room. Lord, I pray that as we spend time with you, we feel that that deep connection that David felt. Lord, I pray right now that you would just lift off any uh, shame, condemnation, self-consciousness, any of that that would inhibit people. Lord I pray for the men in this room that they would rise up as worshipers Lord that they would that they would use their voice to proclaim who you are Lord and we will see uh, uh, an amazing change Lord I pray for the women in this church Lord that as they sing they would see shackles bust off. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for giving us in the Bible examples of how we can see different results in our life. Lord, help us not to judge others. Help us not to hold others accountable for our actions. Lord, we commit our lives to you once again. We worship you, God because you and you alone are worthy. We praise your name, God. Keep each and every person safe, Lord. I pray a blessing on each and every person here for those who are ill, for anybody who might be far away from you, God, that you would minister to them today. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.